Well, good morning and welcome to Black Rock Church at Home. We are so glad that you chose to join us today. We had such a great time last Sunday celebrating Easter with you, and we're excited for the word that God wants to speak to us today. Social distancing. Most of us are all too familiar with that term these days, aren't we? And to think that that term didn't even exist a couple of months ago. Social distancing is a great strategy for flattening the curve of the coronavirus, but it can be destructive. Destructive when applied to your spiritual walk or your relationship with God. So destructive, in fact, that Jesus takes the initiative to to bridge any distance that's created between him and his followers. Even when we're unaware or when we're distracted or when we're disinterested at bridging this gap ourselves. So for the next three weeks, we're going to look at three passages in the gospel where the resurrected Jesus initiates connection with his followers in order to restore hope and in order to remove any distance between him and those he loves. So I'm excited about the next three weeks and exploring these passages together. So let's dive in. Today, today I want to start with the passage that Pastor Steve teed up for us last weekend on Easter Sunday, because I just can't get over the the action described in the passage from John chapter 20. The text shows that Jesus takes the initiative and wastes no time in closing the gap, in eliminating any social distancing between him and his bereaved and bewildered followers. The action in this passage takes place immediately following the resurrection, and I mean immediately, like like moments after Jesus has been raised from the dead. Let me set set the stage for us in case you missed it last week. Jesus had been crucified, he's been in the tomb for three days, and his disciples are still reeling, still in disbelief that their friend Jesus is gone. And they're thinking to themselves like, what happened? How could it have ended this way? Like it makes no sense. That's what they're saying to themselves and to one another. It's now Sunday morning, three days after the crucifixion, and the Jewish Sabbath is now over. So one of Jesus' followers, Mary Magdalene, heads to the tomb, probably to anoint the body of Jesus for burial because they had run out of time on the afternoon of his crucifixion. She was going to dutifully finish the burial preparations for Jesus' lifeless body, or so she thought. We pick up the action in verse 1 of John chapter 20. And then, rather than have me read the passage for you, we'll watch the video that we saw last week that gives us a visual of the action, way better than me reading it for you. So take a look. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. 
but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped round Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him, and cried out in Aramaic, Rabuni, which means teacher. Anybody else see the irony here? I mean, the text tells us that Mary saw Jesus standing there, and yet she didn't recognize her friend. Maybe, maybe she was still overcome with grief, and that's why she didn't recognize him. Or, or maybe because the sun's glare, the morning sun's glare was in her eyes. Or maybe because she was crying and her vision was clouded. We don't know. We just know she didn't recognize Jesus standing right there. Uh, more likely, it's because she saw two angels sitting right where Jesus' body had been placed in the tomb. That would do it. Like, that would explain it. She probably was a bit confused and bewildered by the whole scene. I mean, it's a lot to process this early in the morning. And I think, I think Jesus plays with her a little bit. I mean, Jesus saw Mary look right at him, and that's when he asked her, why are you crying? Like, who are you looking for anyway? And I think he fully expects Mary to, you know, recognize him. But in her grief, in her confusion, she mistakes him for the gardener. For the gardener. I mean, you can't make this up. How could Mary not recognize him standing right there in front of her? But before I'm a little too critical of Mary, I realize something. I'm a lot like Mary. 
I can miss Jesus showing up in my life when it could not be more obvious. You see, because when you're, when you're not looking for him, when you don't expect him to show up there, you can easily miss his presence altogether. We somehow conclude in our heads an explanation that eliminates the possibility of his presence or his involvement in our life, in our circumstances, in our situations. We dismiss even the possibility. Must be the gardener, we think, or, or something like that. And we miss his presence. Okay, back to the action. So Jesus then speaks her name, Mary. We saw that in the video. Or maybe it was Mary, like with the intonation like, Mary, it's me, Jesus. Either way, Mary now recognizes the Savior's voice, her friend's voice, and all excited, she cries out, grabs him, and says, teacher, like, my teacher, it's you. That's the literal version. And Jesus immediately says to her, don't hold on to me. Don't hold on to me. Now, he doesn't say that because he's annoyed with Mary or because she's invaded his personal space. Jesus doesn't say that because Mary has violated some ancient social distancing regulations. Rather, Jesus explains, don't hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. See, apparently Jesus has just come out of the tomb. He has just left the tomb being raised from the dead. I mean, he hasn't even left the burial ground yet to reunite with God the Father. I mean, think about this for a second. If you had just emerged from the tomb that held you for three days, and your first order of business was to, was to reconnect with God your Father and reaffirm that you've accomplished and completed the task that compelled you to leave heaven in the first place. That is, you live a perfectly sinless life, you suffer a cruel death on a cross for the salvation of all mankind. And after being raised from the dead, your plan was to return to the Father to celebrate what you've de- that you've defeated death and secured redemption for all who would believe in you from this day forward as the once and for all sacrifice that atones for sin. For all past, present, and future sin. And then return to your rightful place in heaven as the resurrected Savior of the world. You tell me, if that was your agenda, would you delay your return to heaven for one second to hang around to speak to some weepy follower who won't even recognize you at first? I mean, she's going to see him soon enough. In fact, we find out later on this very same day when she's with the rest of the, rest of the disciples, she will then be comforted knowing that Jesus is alive and well. I mean, wouldn't you return to heaven first and then return to breathe, you know, life and hope into your fear-filled disciples? Doesn't that make sense? Wouldn't that be totally reasonable? And yet that's not what happens. It, it just shows you the kind of Savior we have. That Jesus delays his return to heaven 
in order to comfort one person. He scraps his agenda and delays his joyful return to the Father in order to remove any distance, alleviate any grief or pain this one follower might be suffering so he can comfort her with his presence. I mean, his compassion for us is like off the charts. You tell me, what kind of savior does that? Clearly, one who will go to any length to remove any social distance between us and him. One who will, who will meet you wherever you are in order to connect with you, to bless you with his presence. That's the kind of savior we have in Jesus. And I remind you, this is moments out of the tomb. Because the tomb that once held him does not hold him anymore. That's a good place for an amen, by the way, even if it's just talking back to your computer. I mean, come on, someone's got to help me preach. So the freshly resurrected Jesus, he says to this bewildered disciple, don't hold on to me. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Why did, why did Jesus tell Mary to find the disciples and say those words? Why those particular words? Tell them, I'm returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. I mean, why say it that way? Could it be that Jesus was reminding them of something that he has told them before? Saying it in such a way as to like jog their memory? That's exactly what Jesus was doing. Jesus was reminding his disciples that what he had been saying to them the previous week, the final week of his earthly life. In fact, John records these final week conversations that Jesus had with his disciples in chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 in his own gospel. Over and over, Jesus was telling his disciples that their relationship with him, it changes once he returns to God the Father. Jesus tells them that although they are grieving now, his going away is a good thing. His going away and returning to the Father is a good thing, he says. It's good for them, is what Jesus says. Check out what Jesus says to his disciples in John 16, 5. But now I'm going to my Father who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. See, Jesus goes on to explain that unless he went away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, would not come. But if he goes back to the Father, Jesus will send them the Holy Spirit. And then down in verse 22, same chapter. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I'm telling you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And Jesus continues in verse 26. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Do you hear it? I'm going back to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. See, Jesus is clearly telling his disciples that their relationship changes 
once he returns to the Father. No longer will they have to run to Jesus to ask him to act on their behalf, to fix the problem or answer the question or make an appeal to the Father for them. Jesus says it's no longer necessary. Now they can go directly to the Father and ask him themselves. Just ask in my name, Jesus tells them. I mean, think of it. We believers, we now have the same access and same authority as Jesus when we ask in his name. That's why Jesus says, I'm going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I mean, it's the truth, you know. It's the truth. It's a result of the finished work of the cross. We now have access to God our Father because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. Not only was our sin paid for, but we gained access to the Father and have the same standing as Jesus. See, we are now considered favored sons, favored daughters of our heavenly Father. So Jesus says to Mary Magdalene, and to you and me for that matter, don't hold on to me. Don't hang on to our old relationship where you ran to me for everything where you are helpless and hopeless and powerless and pathetic. Jesus actually says, I went to the cross so you could be redeemed. Redeemed means brought back to original value, brought back to original design. Jesus went on to say, I've put my spirit in you. The same spirit that raised me from the dead now lives in you. So you can represent me and you can help me build my kingdom. So you can now do what previously only I could do. You can now do the same and more by the power of the Spirit that lives inside you. I mean, Jesus said all this, right? Check out what Jesus said in John chapter 14. He said this to his disciples. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Very truly I tell you. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. There it is again. I'm going to you, my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And I know, I know we have a hard time believing this. I mean, it sounds arrogant, right? Or too good to be true? That we'll do what Jesus has done or even greater things? But I'll remind you, it was Jesus who said this. Jesus himself said this. So I, I believe it's time that we believe him and trust him. So Jesus says, don't hold on to me. Don't hold on to our old relationship because there's more. There's more available to you since I went to the cross. You can now go directly to your heavenly father and rather than coming running to me. And he will answer you and empower you to do what I once did. You will be my hands and feet. Just ask in my name, Jesus says, with the authority and power that comes with it. I mean, think of it. With his spirit in us, we now carry a light that dispels darkness. We bring freedom to those in bondage. And we bring a hope to those who have given up. I mean, how awesome is this? And in these days, how timely and incredibly important in these days of fear and anxiety 
that we get to bring this kind of peace, this kind of power, this kind of comfort. See, now that we've been saved by Jesus and we're adopted as God's children, here's what we get to do. We get to be his hands and feet. We get to co-labor with God. We get to inspire hope, demonstrate faith, bring his peace, represent Jesus, defeat the enemy, fulfill our purpose, build the kingdom, dispense the love of Christ, and become more like him while doing all of this. I mean, how awesome is this? So the next question is, how? Like, how? How do I represent Jesus, do what he did, dispense the love of Christ, and fulfill my purpose? How do I do it? Well, there are countless ways, but uh, let's just keep this really simple. In these days, when people are fearful and anxious and socially isolated, when they feel like their lives have been turned upside down, we get to bring the peace and comfort of Jesus. The same way Jesus brought peace and comfort to Mary, you know, moments out of the tomb. So, let's just do what he did. Let's stop for the one. The one who needs encouragement, comfort, or maybe just a listening ear. Stop for the one. Offer to pray for someone. Maybe make a phone call to someone who's feeling all alone and isolated. It's amazing how social distancing has made many people so hungry for personal interaction. Stop for the one, right? Be willing to be inconvenienced to make someone else feel loved. To be delayed, to put your agenda on hold so you can serve someone in need. Do whatever they need to be done, to listen to, talk with, pray for, whatever the need is in front of you. I warn you, though, these, these distractions and these interruptions, they're rarely convenient. But sometimes they're just a way of God figuring out whose agenda do you think is more important, yours or his. And it usually takes no skill, no talent to do these things, just a willing spirit. See, when you're willing to be interrupted, availability Trump's ability. God is often just looking for someone, anyone, who's willing to table their agenda for his. So let's look for simple ways to serve people, to, to help people. Look around for ways to add value and bless people. Run an errand, buy some groceries, look for something that needs to be done and then just do it. Doesn't have to be something big. Doesn't have to be something great. You know, I, I, I love what Mother Teresa once said. Mother Teresa said, you don't need to do great things. Just small things with great love. I'll give you one. I'll give you an example. A woman in my community group, she wanted to, to bless a few people in our church and in our neighborhood by delivering a handwritten note and um, with some flowers that she had bought at Trader Joe's. And for some of them, she painted a little picture as kind of like a, a gift to add to these things, just a, a token of affection, just, just to show some isolated people that they were being thought of and loved. I mean, it's nothing big. And, uh, and she wanted to keep it a secret, so she wanted to deliver it. She wanted to drop it off in a way where they wouldn't know how and when it got dropped off, kind of a stealth delivery. 
I, I know all this because I was recruited to be like the getaway driver. And it was awesome because the people found the surprise on their front porch. They felt loved and cared for. I mean, it was nothing heroic, but it was healing. Like you and I, we can do these things. These are simple, but they are powerful and profound in their effect on people. See, you and I represent Jesus to a world that is so fearful, so confused right now, that your life is the sermon. The way you live is our message. See, people see Jesus in the way you live, in the way you act, in the way you speak, in your eyes. They see someone who has died to self and found a better way to live. They see a peace and a joy and a contentment that is so compelling and so winsome, they want it. They see a light and a power in you that others do not carry because of the one who lives inside you. Because you and I now carry the light of the world. And this light, it dispels darkness and sets people free. Free from the lies and the fears that shackle them. And this light, it flows out of you because you're filled. And it's no longer you who lives, but it's the resurrected Christ Jesus who lives through you. Jesus wasn't playing when he said, it is good for you that I go away. So Jesus says to you and me, don't hold on to me. Do not hang on to our old relationship because I have removed any social distance between you and me and between my father and your father, between my God and your God. You now have full access to the father, just like me, Jesus says, and full access to my spirit who now lives inside you. The one who lives within you will help you and empower you to live righteously and confidently and selflessly. See, this is the upgraded relationship we now have since Jesus has returned to the Father. So we don't hold on to our old relationship. We now represent the resurrected Jesus to a world that is desperate for an encounter with the God that cares for them, the God that loves them. Now, more than ever. So what do you say, church? Let's pray. So Father in heaven, I pray on behalf of my friends, we pray that you would have your way with us. We're so grateful for what Jesus has done for us on the cross, that he returned to the Father, and we have this upgraded relationship. We are thankful we get to represent Jesus. We get to build your kingdom. We get to co-labor with you. God, we just say, give us opportunity because we want to be Jesus' hands and feet. We want to dispense the love of Jesus to people who need it. We want to provide comfort and concern and care for those who need it in these times. That's our corporate prayer. Have your way with us. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Hey, if you're new or today is your first time tuning in, we would love to know that you stopped by. So right after service today, head to blackrock.org slash guests, and there you can fill out a connect form. Later on this week, we'll have someone reach out to you to let you know the different ways that you can get connected to what we do here at BlackRock. There are so many different opportunities, and honestly, there's a place for everyone here. So make sure to go and fill out that connect form. Hey, we're glad that you joined us. We miss you guys, and we can't wait uh, to see you next week.